Coming up on today's show, we're getting all of the hot secrets about PlayStation. Everybody and welcome to a very special episode of the What's Good Games podcast. Normally your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. But this Friday, we've got a special episode that we're going to tell you about in just a minute. I'm Andrea Renee, joined by my wonderful co-host, Brittany Brombacher. Hello, somewhere Sony PR is freaking out. They're like, no! <laughs> I know, but that's why I did it, just to have a little giggle. Please welcome to the show the global head of third-party portfolio at Sony Interactive. Of entertainment, the wonderful Sean Benson is here. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Sean, it's so fantastic to finally get you on the show. You and I have known each other behind the scenes for quite a few years now, but we haven't ever had the opportunity to get you on What's Good Games. And when it arose, I was like, hey, I know her. Oh, yes, let's get her on the show. Thank you so much. I've been really excited for the opportunity. It's always so much fun talking games with you behind the scenes. So it's cool to, you know, be able to share the love publicly in this way. Absolutely. And we ran into <laughs> each other at the Dice Summit not that long ago, but you have been keeping yourself very busy. Sony just launched a brand new piece of hardware, PSVR 2. How's the launch been going? Oh, it's been so great. There's been a lot of really positive reception from both gamers and, and the press and fans across the board. Our developers are super happy. There's been a lot of really good resonance around games that didn't maybe see as much attention kind of towards the later part of the life cycle for PSVR, getting new breath of life in PSVR 2. So we're super excited about all the reception overall. I've been just like knee deep in VR ever since I got back from DICE and was able to finally open up the box. It's been a lot of Resident Evil, a lot of puzzling places for some chill vibes. And definitely, if you want to pull some heartstrings, I spent a lot of time in Before Your Eyes, which I don't know if anybody's had a chance to play it yet, but... I <laughs> it's I, a grab your Kleenex kind of moment for sure, but yep, really I loved uh, it. <laughs> I have my PSVR too, so thank you, PlayStation. And I do have a code for Before Your Eyes, and I'm preparing myself. I'm preparing myself. Let me just say that. I know I've been told I need tissue. I'm very excited to hop into that one, though. Yeah. How does that work, though, when you have the headset on your face and then you start crying? <laughs> Shove it yeah. up the headset. <laughs> kind of sneak the tissues. You know, at least you can pull the headpiece out a little bit so you can sneak a Kleenex in. Uh, no, just kidding. A built-in but, feature. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of nice because it helps you adjust for comfort, Crying but also compatible. so you can, you know, put tissue on your eyes. Uh, no, just kidding. So yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, I'm pretty excited about that one, but I, you know, if we are going to, you know, make a recommendation, I would say try to play it in one setting. It's short enough, you know, so it's, it's not, I feel like it really takes you on an emotional journey. So definitely one, one sitting kind of game in my opinion. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's a that's a good piece of information to have because there are some games like that that are better played without taking a break. So mm -hmm. how much time should I set aside? Because, you know, with babies at home, having that dedicated time to sit down and play a game front to back is something that Brittany and I haven't experienced in a while. <laughs> I realize I should have more empathy. Bunnies aren't as demanding as babies. So <laughs> I should. I have pet rabbits. Those are my fur children. I think probably about three to four hours was probably the average I've seen. It isn't too long. It's pretty bite-sized in that regard. 
Okay. okay, yeah, that's definitely manageable. That's manageable. Do it on a weekend or something. Yeah. But let's talk about, you know, video games in general and your job because you've got this really cool job and a big fancy title, but people might not know what that means just off of hearing it. So what does the global head of third-party portfolio actually do? Yeah, it's kind of one of the funnest jobs <laughs> in video games. I feel really lucky and it's kind of crazy to to sit here in this, this kind of position, but basically our team is a a very, very smart group of diverse content experts, business development managers who are responsible for interfacing with third-party creators that are making games for PlayStation and looking for opportunities for whether it be partnership or content advocacy. So what that means in English is, let's say we don't necessarily have a formal deal, but we want to do something really exciting, like amplify it in a special way. We work really closely with a lot of our cross-functional teams at PlayStation to say, hey, this might be a really good opportunity to showcase something at our events, or this might be a really good thing to put a demo in front of press about, or hey, store, this would be a really good curation for your upcoming collection. We're kind of like those content experts that also do a lot of internal advocacy for our third-party creators. It's kind of a mixed role, but think of it like we're curators for the third-party perspective and making sure that people know what the best games are that are coming to PlayStation. I think of a little game with a cat in a backpack, a little <laughs> game called Stray. Now, when a game like that gets pitched, is it just like an instant home run in your brain? You're like, yes. Yeah, it's it's not always a home run like Stray was. (laughs) Stray was like, I saw a GIF back in 2016. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. This is I mean, what's not to like? It's a cat game in this kind of cyberpunky environment. It's cool. But in the case of some of them that are a little bit earlier on, and you know, have a lot more, maybe say a less obvious offering, you know, at first glance, we spend a lot of time working with those creators who give us the pitch. We take a look at some really early prototypes often. We'll take a look at a playable that could be really rough, like not really arted out. It's like kind of a gray box environment, very rudimentary. And a lot of times, even just those simple prototypes will give us a good sense of what the game can be. But a lot of the folks on my team come from media backgrounds. So a lot of folks come from really prestigious roles, like being manager editor at GameSpot formerly, or some folks on my team uh, recently coming over from Eurogame and so on. They spent their whole lives reviewing games and understand the qualitative merits. And so when they come into PlayStation and our team, we spend a lot of time telling them, okay, this is like, you know how to say a game is amazing. How do we talk about how it's the best place to play on PlayStation? How do we evaluate against that? PlayStation clearly had a banger of a generation with the (laughs) PlayStation 4 and doing pretty good so far with the PlayStation 5, despite all of the pandemic challenges that a lot of people in the video games industry are facing. So it seems like a pretty easy sell to be like, bring your game to PlayStation. But how much of your job is the balance between people who want to have their game on the platform and projects that your team has identified as, hey, this is the thing that we actually want to put some energy and maybe some money behind promoting is on the platform. It feels like that's kind of an overwhelming job. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, there's a lot of games that don't necessarily require a lot of uplift to bring over to the platform. And it's more around just making sure people are aware of it and we really rally the troops behind it. Like a Call of Duty, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, something like that. You know, really known quantities, existing franchises and big brands like that. But then there's a lot of 
of those emerging voices, those up and coming creators that are coming from those hidden gems that are kind of from different parts of the world and different crevices that we wouldn't necessarily know to explore. And so we have a great, very talented team on the account management side that is literally focused on that, you know, their boots on the ground, sourcing and looking at a lot of really great new opportunities from our indie community. And we collaborate really closely with them. They'll say, hey, look, you should check this game out and our team will evaluate it and also collaborate with them and the partner on what could a potential strategic relationship be to make sure they're able to be best on the platform and de-risk the opportunity for them. So you're saying, Sean, it's solely your fault that there's pre-order <laughs> exclusives for third parties on PlayStation. It's you. You're the problem. No, I'm not the problem. <laughs> these are these are strategic relationships with these partners. They're looking for ways to really amplify the opportunity and make it feel like the best place to play. And so they're really trying to find these kind of opportunities for those consumers. It's not me hand-wringing necessarily necessarily in this case. <laughs> I was just teasing everybody. It's definitely not Sean's fault. It's Bob and marketing. We all know that. <laughs> so Sean, let's talk a little bit about the kinds of tools that you and your team kind of use at, or at your disposal when you're trying to identify, you know, what game is going to resonate with people that own PlayStations or, you know, people that want to maybe buy a PlayStation specifically to play a game. Because it seems like there's no one secret sauce for identifying like which game is really going to hit with people, what's going to go viral, so to speak. Is there certain things that you guys look for? Or is it kind of more of like a gut feeling? Yeah, it's it's there's a few ways to look at it. I mean, there are certainly those emotional moments where it's pretty obvious. And a lot of people reinforce that as a collective internally, where we're all like, yeah, this is kind of a no brainer. In the case of Fall Guys, for example, many years uh, back, yes. we were all sitting in a hotel room with Devolver and Mediatonic handed us controllers and said, go play. And it was so bonkers. And we had so much fun that by the time we got to the elevator on our way down to the next, you know, head to the next meeting at GDC, we all just said, oh God, this absolutely has to launch in plus day one. Like all of us just immediately came out with that phrase simultaneously, basically. And we're all like in unison, like, yes, that makes sense. But then there's some that are a little bit more complex than that. And, you know, obviously, we're always looking at ways that our partners can really adopt and take advantage of all the really innovative technologies around our platform. So it can be things like, how can this feel really great with the dual sense? How does this gameplay really offer this unique kind of feel with the adaptive triggers? You know, for example, in Stray, you can feel the purring and the, you know, the uh, paws scratching on the carpet, etc. Those types of things really sell a story of like, this, this feels definitively at home at PlayStation because of all the unique features that they've woven into it. Or there's a great VR story for that game. You know, those types of things are always in the foreground of what we're considering when we're looking at opportunities. You know, we also think about the audience expanding already at this stage of the life cycle with PS5. We're seeing way more audience and and types of players that are coming over than ever before on PS4. We're seeing a big evolution of like, what types of games people like to play, and so forth. So it's not so simple as just, you know, trying to, you know, use the same kind of AAA targets every year and call it a day. There's a lot of really great indie games and, you know, AA games that could be really good fits for targeting regions that we haven't really talked to before, or different types of communities. So we definitely think about that expanding audience as we're looking at opportunities. And then the big thing that people always ask is like, what genre should we think about? Like we get a lot of those asks at conferences and in partner meetings. 
And we really try to be avoidant around being too prescriptive. Like, cause the moment I say, Hey, give me a Metroidvania, we're going to see 500 Metroidvania pitches. And it may not even be the kind of game that the creator wants to make. It's like they're feeling like that's what they need to make in order to be successful. And often some of the best ideas are things that we're not even asking for in advance. It's often these kind of ideas that come out of the creator's brains that we couldn't even have come up with. This whole process is just so utterly fascinating to me. You know, something I really appreciate lately is how, you know, the people at the top, you, Sean, you run PlayStation pretty much. We all know it. No, (laughs) not at all. (laughs) Well, you know, in my world, you do. But how you're willing to... My boss is going to be upset. (laughs) Please don't say that. (laughs) No, no, no. no. Don't get her in trouble. It was all me. You can fire me. I don't even work for you, but it's fine. Um, Uh, Tell Phil to calm down. It's fine. fine. (laughs) How you're willing to come on a show like this and really pull back the curtain on this entire process. Because, you know, there are certain games like... I've always wondered, like, you know, I'm just going to throw it out there, like Dark Cloud 3, my grandma's all-time favorite game, like Dark Cloud series. And she's always like, hey, how come there's no Dark Cloud 3? I'm like, grandma, I don't know. I don't make the rules. But, (laughs) you know, but now here you kind of talk about what this process looks like. I think it's just really helpful and it kind of humanizes the whole industry a little bit more. So I give you kudos to that. But I'm dying to know how many people are on your team? Like how many people review a pitch? Well, on my team directly, it's about 10. It's not actually that big, but we're all scattered globally, which is always a challenge with like late night calls and early morning meetings, mm-hmm. etc. But we're very collaborative and we very much are joined at the hip on a lot of opportunities. But there is a much wider team in third-party relations. We have a huge group that works on solely the relationship management with our creators. So, you know, we work closely with that team. Anytime there's an opportunity, they surface it up to us. And they're really the boots on the ground for the wide masses and And then there's, of course, our marketing teams that are boots on the ground also in supporting all those wonderful marketing campaigns that a lot of these creators are making. It's certainly not just portfolio doing all the magic. There's a huge army behind us, but we're we're a small team of 10. And I like to think of us like you know, kind of like that central nervous system around the games, you know, we take all the inputs from everybody and try to put something together to make sure it's a success. But we're certainly not the only ones involved. It feels like and this is kind of a weird analogy, but it's something that I hold near and dear to my heart because I have a music life but in a past life, I used to love making mixtapes for friends and family and you know, for potential future boyfriends or whatever. (laughs) And, um, and it was a way of communicating to the, you know, person that I want to connect with. And you know, it has kind of the ebbs and flows to how you create the perfect mixtape or mix CD or Spotify playlist. I feel like I'm dating myself when I say mixtape, but that art is kind of like how we look at video games. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of things that can strike a feeling. And when you look at the sum of its parts, you know, there's kind of a cohesive theme and, and aesthetic to it. And we try to aspire for that as we're looking at games. I love that. I'm going to be honest, you using the word creators is kind of jarring to me. And I think it's because as a content creator, we hear that referenced in a very different way. But I have seen that a lot of the messaging at Sony has changed from developers to creators. What's the story behind that? Yeah, I mean, it's no official like company wide shift necessarily. But I think we kind of organically use that phrase a lot, mostly as it relates to the process because you know if we just say publishers and developers it doesn't really speak to the art form of what they're bringing forward and 
these are a, you know, a, it's a multidisciplinary kind of art form at the end of the day. And I keep tying into my roots of like music and theater, you know, in the case of theater, it's like people from different walks of life are coming together to create a play. You've got costume designers, set designers, sound designers, lighting designers, actors, directors, playwrights, and they're all coming together to make a thing. And that's a creative process. And game development's no different, right? It's a lot of people from different disciplines coming together to make this really kind of like a holistic art form. And that's why I kind of lean on that word just because it's kind of part of my background, but I've seen other people internally pick up the bandwagon, but I wouldn't necessarily they say this is an official PlayStation term or anything. We do say it in the case of indies in some ways, but yeah, that's where it comes from. Well, Sean, we've already established that you're running PlayStation, so yeah. I feel like you should feel confident <laughs> in just saying this is the way it's going over here. But you have mentioned a past life that you used to do music. So let's talk about what did you do before you got into video games and how did you get your first gaming job? Yeah, this is kind of weird. People are like, what? You don't have a business degree? What? You didn't study game development? You worked in the in studios for your entire life and no it's it's true it's kind of a sideways journey and it's not really something i would say you know people feel like there has to be a very direct path for how you get into your role and i would say that mine was couldn't be the furthest from it i had a theater degree and i was ready to create music and sound for plays and i was i was composing music for playwrights and you know doing stuff for short film makers and then started to actually dabble in some games some indie games nothing of note i'm not going to brag about anything that was that i worked on cuz it's probably not even available to play but at the time i was like trying to get my big break and going to GDC with like a, you know, like an actor with her headshot ready to get noticed by the next big director. Like, please, please hire me to make music for your game. I love uh, that. Didn't work out. <laughs> but uh, I, I actually, just see you outside the W with CDs. Being like, listen, please listen. <laughs> please listen. My mix Here's tape. my mixtape. Here's how you know I love you. <laughs> exactly. I'm a huge fan of your game. Please, please hire me. You know, it was kind of a thing I dabbled in, but I was working at Apple for like 10 years. And it, I started actually out from humble beginnings in the Apple retail store, teaching customers how to make music on their Mac, how to edit iMovies and stuff like that. And then over time, I, I kind of built my career up and, and moved into corporate and did a lot of creative work there. And then at, at one point, there was an opportunity inside of the App Store for a games editorial position. And just as a personal aside, before I kind of jump into that, you know, my husband also works in games. Uh, you know, David Hellman on my team. I mean, my team, my, my family. <laughs> <laughs> my husband. Wow, family. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a team. We're a team. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so David worked on the art for a very well-known indie game called Braid. And through that relationship... With him, I met a lot of other indie creators that were reminding me of what that life felt like when I was working in theater, feeling like an aspiring artist trying to make it big and, you know, really struggling. It's like you're putting your life and your, your, your whole heart and soul into these projects. And it's a huge risk. And I empathize with that, you know, coming from where I used to be. And those people became a community to me. I was very much, you know, even outside of not working in the games industry, those were my friends. Those were the people that I connect with dearly, you know, in a big way. And so I felt like that kind of built this understanding and camaraderie over time. So when this app store position came up, I was really excited. There were some folks that really took a chance on me because I didn't have any formal games industry experience except for a Facebook game and a mobile game. I so it's not, you know, I wouldn't say it was a deep resume by comparison to some of the other folks that were on the team. So I really appreciated that they took that risk and 
that was just, oh my God, it was like a huge eye-opening experience for me because I was able to finally put light on these creators that were struggling and show the world how great their games were. And that's when I started to take a liking for curation. And then finally, when an opportunity came up at PlayStation to work for your husband, who was working there at the time, uh, John Drake. John Drake. (laughs) Yeah, he he had an opening and I was like, yeah, that sounds exactly like where I want to take my career. And he took me on to focus on all the indie creators at PlayStation. And I since have grown in that role over the years and over time as people have come and gone. But yeah, that's that's kind of the weird sideways journey. Not your average path for sure. But I love that because it reminds people that you don't have to have a singular path to pursue a career that's exciting to you. And you probably get asked as much as Brittany and I do, like, you know, how do I do what you do? How do I get into the games industry? Like, what do I have to do? And it's like, well, you know, first, you know, having an education and having some basic skill sets helps, but like, there's no like set list of bullet points that you need to check off in order to get a a job in games. Cause there's so many different jobs first and foremost, but there's also, as you mentioned, so many different paths. We like a twisty path. Ooh, a oh, nice totally. twisty path. Is there a more <laughs> linear path now to get to a position like the one that you're in? Or is it pretty like is twisty the best? I don't want to be too prescriptive, but obviously other people in my team have, you know, more kind of traditional paths. Like some people spend a lot of time in the business scene and working on business development to build their skills to be able to negotiate a contract and redline deals. I'm still learning, honestly. And I have a team of experts that are really good at that part. And I and their godsends for that reason, you know, and then other folks on my team, like I said earlier, they come from a media background. And a lot of times they had aspirations to kind of grow through that path. But you know, I've seen a lot of really great talent come from different places. And it's really about having a desire and a yearning for that opportunity, but then also building a network and getting to know folks, really finding people who will take that time to have a coffee session with you to tell them about how they got through, you know, that journey and maybe connect you with some people that could help you in coaching some skills that you really feel like you want to polish or develop. But, you know, being able to network and collaborate really well and be able to understand and communicate with empathy and with a solution kind of brain is going to be really key in survival in the games industry for sure. Sean, this conversation is amazing and I have definitely more questions for you, but we're going to take a really quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. This episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. We love HelloFresh here at What's Good Games because we get to skip the checkout lines and get outside in the warmer weather because HelloFresh has dinner covered. And increasingly, I look for recipes that I think my baby will like to try. And I love that I can mix and match ingredients from different boxes and kind of freestyle and they always have easy to read directions and good food is too precious to waste you guys HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients help me cut down on food waste by at least 23% compared to just grocery shopping which is good for your wallet and for the planet 
super important these days, am I right? And are you looking for more ways to save this spring? Well, HelloFresh is cheaper than grocery shopping and 25% cheaper than takeout. Those fees get you every time. I am very much looking forward to my HelloFresh box that is arriving tomorrow. I believe I've got the spring board in it. You know me, I, I love a good charcuterie board, but this one has some extra nuts and a special kind of jam and crusty bread. If you guys haven't checked out the HelloFresh market, it's like my new favorite thing about ordering boxes every week. If you want to try America's number one meal kit for yourself, go to HelloFresh.com slash What's Good 50 and use our code What's Good 50 for 50% off plus your first box ships free. That's HelloFresh.com slash What's Good 50 and use our code What's Good 50 for 50% off plus your first box ships free. This episode of What's Good Games is also brought to you by MeUndies. So what is something that you wear that you can't see but can feel? If you guessed underwear, then reward yourself with super soft undies from MeUndies. If you guessed wrong, still reward yourself for trying. MeUndies believes comfort is key. That's why they make magically soft undies and fun prints in tons of colors. And since they're obsessed with helping you feel your best, MeUndies is offering 25% off plus free shipping on your first order. Now, I've talked about MeUndies. Andrea's talked about MeUndies. Steimer talked about MeUndies. They are literally the best. And I think it's kind of hard to convey just how comfortable they really are just from talking about it. But if there was a way that you could go grab consensually a pair of MeUndies and feel them, I feel like you would understand. We were folding laundry the other day, like adults do, sadly. And I did not realize that my husband's entire boxer wardrobe is nothing but MeUndies now. Like literally all of his t-shirts, all of his boxers, he's been converted. And it makes me happy because when I don't want to do my laundry, I can steal his clothes and they're very, very comfortable. Anyway, for all of you creatures of comfort, MeUndies also has a membership that hooks you up with the coziest loungewear, bralettes, and undies from extra small to 4XL every single month. I mean, comfort and convenience, what more could you want? Members also get up to 30% off select items, exclusive deals, and early access. Yeah, you probably want that too. A great option if you want to dive into the world of MeUndies. So to get 25% off of your first order plus free standard shipping, visit MeUndies.com slash WGG. Remember, if you're not satisfied, your purchase is on MeUndies. And again, that is 25% off of your first order plus free standard shipping. MeUndies.com slash WGG. This episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by BetterHelp. On our show, we always talk about how it's okay to not be okay. And sometimes that means reaching out for help so that you can work on getting back to your best self. Therapy is all about deepening self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want and why we react the way that we do until we talk through things. And even then, sometimes it's still confusing. But BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. Maybe you've talked to a friend about about their experience with a therapist, or perhaps you've just been contemplating finding help for a while. Whether you're interested in learning positive coping skills or maybe how to set your own boundaries, getting help can empower you to be the best version of yourself. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential at BetterHelp. 
BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash What's Good Games today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash What's Good Games. And we're back. All right, let's get into some more questions for Sean. So speaking of which, you know, this idea of getting a coffee or meeting somebody and Mm -hmm. having that relationship, what was it like for you and your team having to really transition all of those conversations to Zoom calls during the pandemic? Clearly, you can still, you know, do business online as you guys have been doing for the last couple of years. But what was different about your process having to shift the way that you go out and have these conversations? Yeah. Can you believe that we launched an entire game console during the pandemic? That's that is, wild yeah. to me. I'm that was still like, like <laughs> a choice that you made. How did we do? <laughs> I'm just like impressed at how we were able to mobilize despite that kind of adversity. It's really crazy. But you know, obviously it was, it, it came with a certain set of challenges for sure. Like how do we play builds? We used to go to the studios. Now we can't fly to the studio. How do we deal with transferring of the files and having the developer creator feel safe with sharing their baby, their code to us to review the game. We definitely had a lot of experiments on that and found out good ways of working. Despite the adversity, I also think it opened up a lot of opportunity in a lot of ways too. I actually think it's great that you don't have to necessarily, you know, find time on my books to have a pitch meeting at GDC. I mean, GDC is an amazing opportunity to have that, but you know, our calendars fill up really quickly, but we can totally set up a virtual meeting now. It's not a issue. We take business not necessarily always at these shows in the same way like we used to. And I felt like it really opened up accessibility to us for creators that were perhaps in distant lands that we don't necessarily visit or frequent as often as we would like or have a dedicated team in that region. There's just been a lot more opportunity for discovery than we had in the past, which was so 100% focused on being in person to do business. Interesting. You know, you mentioned GDC. And as someone who has only attended these conventions to play games and talk about them, I don't really ever hear a lot about the business side. So I'm just curious, when you go to an event like GDC or E3, what is it that your schedule looks like? What takes Um, up your time? (laughs) (laughs) Do you really want to know? It's like a I'm really scared. No, um, it's, I, I'm only saying this because literally an hour ago, I was looking at my calendar and hyperventilating a little, but um, it's, it's a lot of, uh, you know, sit downs and face to faces with, with partners, uh, either getting caught up on existing conversations that we're having around a partnership opportunity or seeing a slate review of their games. A lot, there's a lot of pitches. We often will see people come in with a build and want us to get our hands on them. And it's a good chance to kick the tires of the product and things like that. And it's wall to wall. Like someone actually just yesterday, and it broke my heart. She like texted me. It was like, hey, I would love to grab dinner with you. And I'm like... I showed her like kind of the availability. Like you should have messaged me last year. <laughs> I was like, tomorrow is when it starts. And I don't, I'm morning tonight until Friday and then I collapse. So I'm a little worried, but it, we're going to make it through. We, we just want to make as much time as possible for everybody that's flying out, paying a lot of money to get there and putting a lot of effort and putting together their materials. So 
I make the time where I can, but it's, oh, it's a lot of that. It's mostly meetings. I wish I could go to more sh- uh, of the talks. And that's the part that I love the most, honestly, is, is really connecting with the people that, you know, I spent my early days with uh, in the industry and, and definitely also appreciate the insights that I get from those panels. But unfortunately, it's going to be me and meetings for most of it. So if somebody is able to score a tiny sliver of space on that packed <laughs> calendar that you have, what are some of your pro tips to not blow it? To be like, okay, you were able to snag 30 minutes with the global head of third-party portfolio. This is your one shot. Don't mess it up. What are the pro tips? Well, first off, hopefully you've already registered. If you're a creator and you're wanting to partner with us on PlayStation, make sure you sign up on our our PlayStation Partners website. But secondly, one of the things that you should also do is prepare some sort of uh, proposal that gives us an overview of what your game is. And from that point of view... Try not to go too deep in the weeds on the lore and so forth, but give us that elevator pitch of what is the magic of this game? What is it about? What's the moment to moment, the core loop? Things like that will really be helpful for us to understand. Give us a detailed business plan. Like what is your budget? What is the need that you need from us? What's the ask in terms of support? So if you want marketing support or do you need a little bit of funding to help you get it across the finish line? What kinds of things are really going to help you be successful? And where can we align? Like what are the things that make your game feel like PlayStation is the best place to play this game? And so that's kind of the essential from like the pitch itself. But all this said, you know, very rarely do I see a paper pitch, especially from a new creator, really move too far. It's really important that you have some form of playable, some video capture if necessary, whatever it can be that gives us a good sense of what that game will feel like. You know, what does the game feel really feel like that can't be communicated in a just a PowerPoint, right? So it doesn't have to be a huge leap of effort. You know, it can be really rudimentary, like I said earlier we've played stuff in gray boxes, like really like kind of pieced together and very just prototypey kind of imagery and placeholder stuff. But we can see a lot of magic in that. So whatever can be interactive that they can show us is really important to understand what their vision is. So don't show up with a drawing of stick figures and a really snazzy idea. It's got to be a little bit, a little bit more fleshed out than that. I can bring you some Microsoft Paint pictures, Sean. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Please come. We'll make like- a whole game pitch just with Brittany's Microsoft Paint. It'll be amazing. <laughs> now, Brittany actually and I had the awesome opportunity recently to speak with some wonderful women creators from the Roblox community oh, cool. about how they are making games within that platform. It's interesting kind of seeing how the game making space and who can make a game has changed so much because now the tools seem a lot more accessible. Now, what kinds of things are you excited about when you look at where game development is going as a technology? Are there some cool things on the horizon that you're like, this is a really awesome thing that I can't wait to see more of. Yeah, I mean, you already kind of hit it on the nail in terms of just how ubiquitous the tools are to make a game is just being more accessible by different types of creators. I really have just been mostly excited about the types of communities that are emerging out of the woodworks from these things like, you know, it starts with the Roblox community, but then, you know, then they dust off Unreal or Unity and start to get into those types of engines and, you know, start to emerge from there. So a lot of times those 
those types of groups are the ones I'm most excited about. And I often try to keep an eye on anytime I see things kind of buzzing on Twitter, or other types of online communities, I, I try to keep tabs on it. Because oftentimes, even those smaller kind of opportunities can blow up and become like the next big thing, you know, and that's huge for me. I'm just excited about the diverse voices, honestly, more than anything, just yes. seeing more people like me, uh, more people that don't look like me that are, you know, coming into the space. And, and that's, that's, super important because art imitates life, right? And if we don't have that really fully represented in the best way, it's going to be hard to be a successful game platform or a game community at large. It's really critical. So Sean, what's your prediction on what you think the next big genre trend is going to be? We've seen a rise in roguelikes and then the battle royale genre took off mm-hmm. and it feels like you know these rpg shooter hybrids are really popular based off all the stuff that you see cuz i can only imagine like the thousands of stuff that you see <laughs> you know in your job <laughs> the thousands of stuff what do you think it is what do you think the next big trend in gaming is going to be wow that's really hard and i'm worried about saying too much because <laughs> I'll start seeing, you know, like everybody's going to make that one thing. I don't want to see all my favorite things. I thought we covered that already. But, you know, kind of at a broad level, what I am seeing that I've been really excited about is mashups of genres that I wouldn't necessarily think go well together. Like, a very narrative-driven roguelike or a really multi-branched or multifaceted type of RPG, action RPG that has those types of deep branching narratives that we really want to see more, you know, kind of like where it doesn't feel like it's a critical path, no matter which way Mm -hmm. you choose. Like we're seeing a lot more of that. And definitely there's been a lot of expansion in the kind of like online RPG stuff uh, for sure. Definitely, especially out in the East and very excited about post Genshin, what all, all the other types of Genshin impact like inspirations are kind of coming out in out of the woodworks. And I personally am excited about that just because it's such a, expansive place to play and there's such a wide community of different types of players in that space because you can play those types of games on mobile pc console everywhere and you can connect with people and it's not really locked into the barriers of just a single platform that stuff i'm i'm pretty excited to see more of and 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 definitely i'm seeing a lot of cool stuff in the space particularly out of asia for those types of games. So I'm just, I want to keep my eye on those regions for sure. And we'll certainly see a lot more cool stuff coming out of there in in days to come. Let's say I have a farming sim horror game. Talking about two mashups. <laughs> Man, my favorite about- genre ever. <laughs> see, okay. this is why I do. I like you, Sean. Before I bring my game to you and your team, where should I put it beforehand to get valuable feedback? I've seen a lot of other developers really tap into their community, like actually share it with their peers for feedback. And that's where they've gotten a lot of the most insight, but also just for discoverability. If you're not quite sure, you know, you're ready to pitch, but you want to get points of view and see if it's got some buzz. There's a lot of different types of initiatives out there, like whether it be sharing on itch.io or putting stuff out there on, you know, social media platforms, etc. to kind of with a hashtag of screenshot Friday, Saturday or things like that to kind of show your next big thing and get people, you know, to see if it resonates with like those are some opportunities out there, even if you don't necessarily already have a pre existing connection with people in the community. So hopefully that answers your question. No, it does. I was just curious. Okay. <laughs> when when a game gets brought to you, has there already been lots of feedback on that game? 
Oh, like before it hits my desk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like in our case, like on our on our team, you know, a lot of times the account management team has already been working really closely with those creators. So a lot of times those folks I was saying earlier that are really boots on the ground and looking at everything and talking to people that are bringing their games to PlayStation or interested in bringing their games to PlayStation. The account management team really does workshop with them and make sure that they have that pitch ready to go before it hits the portfolio team just to kind of save everybody time and also set them up for as much success as possible. So yeah, that that is another kind of avenue that we have. And the, hence why it's really important to get registered at PlayStation, because that gives you that kind of connection with our team to help give you that valuable feedback. All right, yeah, don't have that awkward moment, everybody. Don't show up to your meeting with Sean. And she's like, so are you registered? And they're like, uh, uh whoops. I'll Make give you the card. Your- Please register. <laughs> Get registered first. Uh, well, Sean, listen, we could keep picking your brain all day because I find you personally lovely and fascinating. Mm-hmm. But we are going to wrap this up. I do want to ask before you go, what are you playing right now? Or what are you excited about something that's coming out in the next couple of months? Any Ooh. games that are... Floating your boat right now? I'm going to give you the widest spectrum possible, which is hilarious. <laughs> I am most excited for Chia. It is coming so soon. It's like oh, six yes. days away. I am so, so excited. And that game is going to be beautiful. And it's going to warm so many people's hearts. You can get it if you have PlayStation Plus Extra. You can. It's going to be available to all those consumers on day one. But what I also, I'm also playing, and it's not on PlayStation, is I've been knee deep in early access for Sons of the Forest, which <laughs> just yeah. recently came out. That is a oh, hard that pivot. That game looks so wild. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> one is this really wonderful open world soothing comfy adventure game and the other <laughs> one is like this very dire survival horror game. So huge ends of the spectrum but I love that game. It's just even in the early access period so far I'm like already excited about where this is going. It's, it's, it's an evolution but also very much a playing on what was so good with the original forest. So I'm quite excited about that I think one. you and I are similar in the sense that those spooky wild games are comforting to us. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Calm like respite Res- from real Resident life. Resident Evil 2 Remake is like my comfort food game. Not in in uh, Story of Seasons, but you know, Resident Evil. I get it. There's something about it. Andrea doesn't seem to understand it, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, I'm happy that you're happy. That's, that's that. You know, you and Mr. X can hang out whenever you want. And I I'll just stand the sidelines and be like, good for you guys <laughs> with my little flag or whatever. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Sean. It was wonderful to, to see you and to chat with you. And hopefully we'll run into you at one of the things if you get to sneak down to the lobby coffee shop for a break yes. between your, stack, your stacked meetings. And um, we are looking forward to everything that you and your team are going to bring to to PS5 in the years to come. Thank you so much. It's been a huge honor and a pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity and best of luck at the shows as well and stay hydrated. So thank you. (laughs) Always the best advice. All right, everybody. We will see you guys next week. Bye.